And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to the Forum Club. I'm Bill Oram, joined by Anthony Slater and Jovan Buha. Guys, uh, the Lakers are in fifth place in the Western Conference. We don't know when LeBron or AD is coming back. We think we know when uh, Andre Drummond and his one singular toenail will return to the lineup. Um, but, you know, this is an interesting time for the Lakers where they have been sliding in the Western conference standings. Um, they don't have their two best players. They have welcomed in a couple of new guys, including Ben McLemore, more on him later, McLemore on him later. Um, but you know, the Lakers are coming off a nice win. Actually, I'd say against the, the Tampa Bay Raptors on Tuesday night in Tampa Bay, Florida, home of the Tampa Bay Raptors. And, uh, I'm curious for your guys' thoughts on that, whether we can glean anything positive from that win and the performances of a few players, notably Marc Gasol, uh, or if we just look at it as a, a game between two super shorthanded teams that frankly aren't very good right now. Jovan. I look at it as more of the latter. I don't like to be the, the pessimist here, but... Um, Angel of think, death. <laughs> yeah. I do think that if you if you look at... Um, and people... I'm, I'm going to say this, and this is another kind of negative thing, but people are saying the Lakers are four and five without LeBron and AD in the stretch. I'm considering it four and six because LeBron missed three quarters of that Atlanta game. I don't think Atlanta is at the level where you can just write that off as... You know they didn't have a chance in that game. They only lost by five points. So I'm I think they're four and six without LeBron and AD for for what it's worth. Um, and I think if you just look at the games they played and the games they've won, like they they beat Cleveland and Orlando, who are the two worst offensive teams in the league. They beat Sacramento, who's the worst defensive team in the league. And then they beat Toronto, who basically just went on the stretch where they lost like fourteen of seventeen. And we're, we're hey, without hey, their two hey. I saw the Toronto Raptors up 61 <laughs> points the other day. Did they have Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet? I don't know if they, they did not that game, have Kyle Lowry in the game that they were up 61 points. Now, that says a lot more about the <laughs> opponent that night. Um, but I've seen these Raptors dominate. I, you know, I mean, you're, you're generally right, Jovan, but they're four and two in their last six. This is what they had to do. They did what yeah. they had to do. And, and it, you know, because we're not debating if this version of the Lakers is a playoff threat. We know if, if there's no LeBron and AD, you know, they're out of the playoffs very quickly. So, like, they just had to win enough games, which is, we right, we've talked about this for a couple weeks. It's like, just survive and try to win the Cleveland-Orlando game. We took, Me and you were on the podcast last week saying, you know, it wasn't necessarily pretty, but they did it. Those were the two they had to win. Then they go out after that and win, you know, you win in Sacramento. That wasn't going to be easy. The Kings had been playing well prior to that. And you win in Tampa, which, like you said, I'm not sitting here calling that the win of the season, but you got it. You just, you, you shoveled it in the wind column and, and, and it got you two days closer to Davis and LeBron's return. So I would call it a success so far, particularly because they needed time to adjust without those two. And so they lost those first few. They were tough challenges. They, they, they're going to get beat by good teams, but 
I think they've done their job personally. Because right now it's a counting game, right? You are trying, you are just trying to stay, you know, like you said, shovel those wins in the win column and stay ahead of really what Dallas in the Western Conference and avoid <clears throat> putting yourself in a position that you need to play your way out of the play-in um, scenario. And I guess the other thing is, you know, there's only 21 games left in the season, I believe, um, but that's still basically a third of this season. So there is time for the Lakers, especially if they get LeBron and AD back with, you know. 15 games left. I don't know that it's going to be that fast. I don't think it's going to be on this road trip. But I do think that the Lakers are going to have some time to recoup a couple of spots in the standings if they're if those two guys are able to hit the ground running. So I agree with you, Slater, that I actually think four and six over these 10 games is kind of fine. Like, it's not... It's not great, you know, it's not like we've suddenly determined that the Lakers don't need LeBron and Anthony Davis. Obviously they do, but I do think, you know, you're kind of hovering around 500. You've beat the teams you need to beat. And at this point, it's really just a matter of kind of playing out the string and getting back to when those guys are able to return. Now, the question is, when is that? And we don't have any closer (laughs) of an answer than we did before. You know, there's been some murmurs that maybe Anthony Davis could be back as early as that Celtics game on April 15th when the Lakers are going to have fans in the building for the first time. You know, that would obviously be a huge boon for the Lakers. That would mean, I believe, four more games without AD. But, you know, I also don't know that a Lakers team with Anthony Davis and no LeBron James is suddenly a juggernaut. You know, the guy who elevates the Lakers into a top-level contender is LeBron James, and that's the one that you need to watch and the guy you need to have back. I just want to see the Davis from the playoffs, and not necessarily like he doesn't have to go out and dominate for a 10-game stretch, especially because he's getting eased back in, but there's this idea that Davis was awesome before the Achilles, then suddenly the Achilles, you know, derailed his season. He kind of was having a, I don't know if you'd categorize it as disappointment, but kind of quiet Anthony Davis type season before that. And again, do they dominate when he comes back? I don't know. But, you know, the player that you mentioned, a guy who can elevate an entire team, like we saw that guy in the playoffs. Like that version of Anthony Davis is that. He's a top five player. We were coming out of the playoffs believing that. And I'd like to see him slowly try to build himself back to that by the time May 15th comes, basically. So you're, if you're saying April 15th might be a return date, that would give him a month ramp up to where he needs to be. Yeah. And to be clear, just to kind of clarify my point, I think I'm, w- I'm with you guys in a macro sense. You just got to get wins. I guess I was more so saying like, I don't know if we've learned anything. Like, I, I think it's kind of gone chalk so to speak like maybe the Raptors win we didn't know if Kyle Lowry was going to be available or not I thought that was more impressive to me than the Sacramento win just with how bad Sacramento was defensively and uh, I know they'd been playing better but the way the Lakers shot the ball and that first half was as impressive I think uh, of a half as they've had this season frankly um you know with or without uh LeBron and AD like they played amazing um and it was encouraging to see that the 18 of 43 point shooting uh I guess I was more so just saying like, but it's totally kinda... arbitrary. Like it doesn't mean yeah. anything because they do they do it once and then the, like you know they they they've been they've had whiplash with their three point shooting right whether it's you know they make they make seven or fourteen threes last night and then they make they make six another game and so it's like yes they have guys who are capable of getting hot but they are not they are not a reliable three point shooting team and one game of good three point shooting does not suddenly absolve them of their lingering issues which is why I thought it was kind of ironic that you know on a night that. We were talking about them bringing in Ben McLemore, who addresses one very specific need for this team. The Lakers go out and have, you know, arguably their best three-point shooting performance of, of, of the season. It's not like you suddenly say, oh, wait, Ben McLemore, we don't need you anymore. You know, please stay in Houston. Um, we've got this figured out. Like, you still need Ben McLemore because you still have a problem. You guys see Damian Jones got a new home. <laughs> I was going to text you this morning. The, the, the Lakers bump got, got him another 10-day. Hey, Kings. 
He's staying in California. He's he's now played for three of the four California teams. And DeMarcus Cousins has played four of four now. He's in uh, Clippers. Um, you know, one of the things with as we look at the standings, because would you guys both agree the goal right now is just like stay at least six? Like just don't get it in the yeah. play-in. Um, Portland, I don't think that good. Um, if you look at their like net rating, like Damian Lillard has just dragged them to so many wins of the season. They're still a terrible defensive team, and yeah. they've made they've made some efforts, you know, to to upgrade personnel. I mean, I think you know, obviously Norman Powell is 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 an upgrade defensively uh, over Gary Trent Jr. Obviously, he's a much better player, and then um, and then you know, I, I at least appreciate that Portland went out and got Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who like hangs his hat on that side of the ball. But like, you can't like. Are you still an RHJ believer? There are those out there that believe. <laughs> I mean, like, I believe that he plays. I believe that he is a, a quality NBA defender. I just don't know how you get him on the floor in that rotation. I guess he's an upgrade over Rodney Hood, who most people have given up on. Also, um, yeah, no. I mean, my general point is like, you know, Dallas is rising quickly. They might be like the one of the hottest teams. They are one of the hottest teams in basketball. So, like, that to me is a bigger danger than, than maybe Portland. But if I'm just looking at the standings, and if you're telling me. Davis might come back by the 15th. What's your LeBron prediction? Like by the end of April? I think that'd be a win for the Lakers if he was back by, by May 1st. I yeah. think that, that would. Um, I, think, yeah. I think that you'd have to feel pretty good about that. I'm, I, what was the date? Do, do either of you guys remember off the top of your head the date? It was that, March 20th. If he came yeah. back by May 1st, uh, that would be within. The, that would be before the six-week mark, which was kind of something we all had circled and, and were kind of eyeing. So if, if, if that were to work out, I think that that would be a positive. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's good to see LeBron on this road trip, by the way. We haven't really seen him in the flesh at these Lakers games. So him being on the, on the sideline on the long road trip, you know, not in a wheelchair <laughs> does seem to suggest like – you know, some level of progress encouragement. And to me, they've shown enough of a survival instinct ability the last six games that I believe, you know, they're going to be in fine position by the time those two come back. And if they do need to, to just, you know, win a handful of games in the last stretch to make sure they're out of the play in, I think they're going to be able to do it. Cause I think Portland has plenty of losses ahead of them. So, you know, I, I, I think they're, I, I'm more optimistic about their, ability to stay out of the plan than I was maybe two weeks ago. What do you guys think about the, uh, I, I, I know that we've exhausted uh, the, the subject of Andre Drummond, uh, both in print and on the podcast, but um, does the Ben McLemore edition move the needle for you guys? And, you know, Frank Vogel indicated last night that they expect him to play. Um, where do those minutes come from? I guess the West minutes, um, though, Looking at Ben's defensive numbers, um, you know, because I, I think in, in, in terms of role and function, he's most similar with KCP and Wes. Uh, but both guys are bigger than him and much better defensively than him. So um, I do think, you know, we know KCP's shooting has been up and down. We, we know Wes has probably been the streakiest player on the team. Um, so maybe Ben stabilizes the shooting a little bit and, and that's where he earns some minutes. Um, you know, maybe he takes minutes from Alex, maybe he takes a, a little bit from Talon. It, it's kind of a, a, you know, an accumulation. Uh, he, he can play the two or the three. Uh, but, but my, my thing is, you know, and I, I just wrote this for the athletic, like I do think honestly that if, you know, the Lakers now have the, their 15 man, you know, final roster, um, you know, barring an unforeseen change and, to me, Ben is probably the 13th guy uh, in the rotation. Yeah. Like, I, I just don't, 
I, and that's good, right? Like him he, or he, this is a guy who him or McKinney. You're saying he's ahead of McKinney, right? Yeah, yeah. So I would I would have him 13, M- McKinney Dudley's 14. So he's just yeah, Dudley 15. Um, and, Jared, and oh, oh look, Dudley, if he can come back in time, can he can he get to 14? Maybe. Honestly, <laughs> Alfonso had a couple has had a couple nice moments. Yes, but Alfonso McKinney well, at this point is the, better. The thing with Ben that I, I think he provides that um, you know Lakers don't have is he does not have a conscience. Like if, you know, I went through his synergy last night and some of the shots that he takes are bad shots, but you know, one, he can make them. And, and two, they're just shots that the Lakers shooters, like if anything, and we saw it last night, you know, Marcus soul talked about it. Frank has talked about it. Different guys on the team have talked about it. Like this team values shot quality almost too much where they will, you know, not take certain shots, especially from beyond the arc because they don't think it's a good shot. But in the modern NBA, like, you know, threes are generally better than twos, even if they're not the best threes. And and that's the uh, kind of model that Ben McLemore, you know, probably because he played in Houston, subscribes to. Like Ben McLemore, uh, I, I had a clip in my story where like he pump fakes a guy, gets inside the arc, has a wide open mid-range jumper, and then takes this giant step back to take a, basically a contested three that he makes. And like, those are the types of shots that Laker perimeter guys, aside from maybe LeBron, aren't going to take. So I, I do think that, you know, we, we've seen KCP has gone through some struggles where he's passed up shots. Wes has passed up shots. Alex has passed up shots. Talon isn't a shooter. Like Ben, if he can regain his shooting of the last two years where he was a 40 plus percent shooter in Sacramento and Houston, I think he can have a role in this team. Now, I'm a little skeptical. I do think he's probably their worst defender in the rotation. And he's smaller than I thought. I thought he was like 6'5", 6'6". He's listed at 6'3". He's so that also kind of changes. He's really 6'1". He's yeah, thin and, and, and if you, you look at the, bash through him. You know, like you can really kind of push him around. Yeah, so looking at the film, he you know, not good defensively, like okay on the ball, but can get blown by, not good off the ball. Um, so I think he, he's a very situational guy where if maybe the second unit is struggling, you put him in for some instant offense. But um, I think the one thing is just his shooting. If, if he can get back to that 40 plus percent, you know, without a conscience, I, I think he can play a small role. But um, I think it makes sense though. Like, because the other thing was who, who else were they going to get? Like Otto Porter Jr. and Avery Bradley are great in theory, but there's no guarantee those guys are, are, are being bought out. And, and the reporting has actually suggested otherwise that those guys might not get bought out. So looking at the market and what the Lakers needed, I think Ben was probably the best available, and I do think it makes sense, even if he's probably going to play a limited role. Having gone through this last year with the Lakers kind of end of bench additions, you know, Ben McLemore strikes me as much more of it, you know, a Deion Waiters, J.R. Smith, you know, you're not going to see him in the in the playoffs hardly at all, but you will see him celebrating the shit out of the championship <laughs> on Instagram Live at the end of, at the end of the run. I mean, I don't, I think, I think there's a possibility that you know he's a guy who you are able to turn to when you've gone ice cold from three. Um, you, you shake it up. You're, you're 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 trailing against you know Portland in the first round, and you just need a shooter to come in. But I do think it's much more of a specialist type thing where he's going to come in and and be in in more dire circumstances than than actually find a place in the rotation. But um, you know, I do I think you know Wesley John Wesley Johnson. I did this last night too. I actually wrote Wesley Johnson in my story before I caught it and had to delete 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 delete. Wesley Matthews is you know has been you know just has had just a really disappointing year with the Lakers. I mean, if you if you determine that you can that you have an upgrade in Ben McLemore just as a shooter, you you take it. But that's not a huge role on this team. But Wesley, Wesley Matthews has still been a, you know, a, is a good defender. He will body guys. He will make effort plays defensively. Um so I don't I don't know that you're going to be eating into too many of those minutes 
even still, even if you are a better shooter. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it, Wesley Matthews is a more trusted playoff player because of the defense. Correct. He might get you a random strip in the second quarter that you needed. And, you know, you're okay winning some second unit minutes, you know, 7-6 instead of losing it, you know, 14-11 because you, you might have hit another three with Macklemore, but you gave up two threes on the other end because of him. Uh, but, you know, it's funny. I think... You know, you're mentioning the 13th, 14th man on the roster basically right now, McKinney and what uh, Mclemore. I've seen them in playoff roles before, both of them. Uh, you know, I've seen McKinney when he's just needed to be hustle energy guy, get rebounds for maybe the most offensively talented team ever. He did it. He had a couple nice playoff moments, and then Mclemore, uh, his best career moments were with Houston. His most winning moments, and that was because like McKinney in a different way, they simplified his role in Houston. It was like stand still alongside James Harden, hit threes, uh, you know, play a Houston switching scheme. You might get exploited, but in general, those kind of guys succeeded in Houston. The problem, the problem with the Lakers is like, that's just not how they're trying to win. They're trying to win with like good defense and, you know, think about how they played in the playoffs last year. That's that's where I just see – I don't mind McLemore, like you said, Jovan, as a signing because, like, what better were you going to get in that spot of the roster? But in general, I just – I probably don't think he's going to play much in the playoffs. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear – courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Let's address the elephant in the room, guys, which is the, the Marcus Gasol situation. And I thought you were going to say the Space Jam trailer. After <laughs> we, can get, we can get to it. Um, but, you know, Marcus Gasol had, has had a really weird season with the Lakers. You know, he came in and, you know, expectations were probably too high of what he, he would look like, you know, and he has barely scored the ball. I think he's averaging 4.7 points a game. And, you know, but the Lakers continually pumped him up in terms of, you know, how he was facilitating from the high post, his defensive savvy. And then at the first opportunity, they go out and get Andre Drummond, who, I mean, listen, is you know a former all-star, is a, a huge physical presence, um, you know, makes the Lakers absolutely enormous in the front court, uh, more of a rim protector and, and finisher like uh, they had last year with Dwight Howard. So, all of that makes sense, but it does raise the question of what you do with Marc Gasol. And since the last episode, Gasol has spoken to the media a few times, and the first and the first time he was pretty um, pretty pissy, I would say, in terms of making it clear that he was not happy with this, that he was still figuring out what he wanted to do. There were some lingering questions of whether or not he was going to pursue a buyout, and that ha- that that ca- that conversation came after Andre Drummond made his Lakers debut and then promptly tore a toenail. And missed you know several games, and so basically you've done again whiplash with this with with Marcus All, where you tell him he's going to be out of the rotation, and then all of a sudden you need him to start. And in there, you've seen really some of Marcus All's most inspired performances of the season. And again, this is without LeBron, it's without Anthony Davis, but last night against um, against Tampa Bay, I insist on calling them Tampa Bay. Uh, come at me. Um, last night against Tampa Bay. Uh, Gasol started the game off with a miss and then ripped the offensive rebound out of the hands of Chris Boucher and and found Kyle Kuzma for an open three. And I thought it was just such a perfect encapsulation of kind of the way Gasol has been playing over these last you know half dozen games or so. And and it, it's it's just interesting because now you're in a position where it's like Marc Gasol has found his footing. It feels like he has 
been playing his best ball of the season. Again, relatively small sample size, but he seems to have accepted the challenge, which is something he said of Andre Drummond's arrival. But Frank Vogel has now said, kind of no matter what, Andre Drummond's the starter. So where does that leave Marc Gasol, and how does he have value on this team um, going forward? Is it just in spot minutes? Do you see particular matchups where you're going to play him over Andre Drummond? Does that happen, or is he really going to be the, you know, the the 12th guy on this team and and not really a factor going forward? I, I just am fascinated by this this dynamic, both on a human level and you know, schematic level, and really front office wise, with the Lakers making a conscious decision to pivot away from what Dwight and Javale did, and then making it half of a season um, before before going going back. So I mean, it, it it's quite clear to you guys they promised Drummond the starting spot right that's like the it, would you say that's the only way they got him Frank basically said that last yeah, night yeah. Um, that, that, that was a you know, pre-signing discussion so I have a question what if Marcus Ole just like it outplays him over the next two weeks like he, you know you have to be on the court to outplay him yeah but he had you know he has been the last couple games okay let me ask you this so Drummond came in and would you say he wasn't very good in his debut before the toenail came off I thought he was okay um I, I thought he was better defensively than I thought he would be but offensively the the concerns of um you know he he had a wide open lob that he just bobbled it wasn't a great pass but I, I felt like you know, like certain guys could have gotten to it. He didn't get to it. Um, and then he had a couple drives where uh, he, he was either blocked or stripped on the drives. And it was just kind of clear to me, like you want him as like a, a roller finisher. You don't really want to ISO as him. An initiator, or, or post him up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like, and it, in the meantime, like with LeBron and AD out, you got to figure he's going to get some of those looks. But um, yeah, I would say offensively, any the, the playmaking impressed me. You know, he had some some good reads uh, in terms of his passing. But overall, I'd say he was a slight disappointment for me offensively, but a slight um, like he impressed me a little bit defensively. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, it's way too small a sample size to judge. He's coming off whatever a month off or however long since his last game, so there's probably some rust. But you know, you're, you're right where maybe. Gasol might not be able to outplay him if he doesn't get enough minutes. But what if Drummond struggles for a couple straight weeks? You know, what if what if the fit doesn't look that great? What if he's being exploited? And you know, it's that's going to be an interesting situation to watch because part of the as Bill and you both know, like last year's playoffs was like it was so kumbaya, right? I mean, nobody was really complaining about roles. Everyone fit in. Dwight Howard knew, okay, I might not play this series, but when I do play, plug in high energy. JaVale McGee was taking DNPs, you know, pretty quietly and then sometimes starting, sometimes being completely pulled. So um, I think how that situation plays out is probably the most interesting chemistry question going in to the rest of the season. And credit to Marc Gasol. Like, a week ago, it, it sure seemed like he might end up um, causing a bit of fuss. And, you know, his initial comments, I don't think were particularly encouraging on the chemistry front. You know, he, he was trying to say the right things, but then he kind of couldn't help himself and said, you know, when he was asked if he wanted to stay with the Lakers, he was like, well, we'll see. You know, so, I mean, this is a guy who's a consummate professional and has, has you know, n- does not want to rock the boat. But also, his his... His value has been questioned. I mean, there's a there's an inherent slight in, some, in the team going out and signing your replacement, and his comments last night were just so much more um, down the middle and so much more um, 
it's such a different perspective where he said, you know, he's taken some time to reassess it and he's fully committed to the Lakers, whatever role that is, if it's five, 10 minutes, um, he'll be ready, whether he's not in the, the rotation at all. And I mean, that's what you want to hear, right? Like you want to hear that kind of, um, that kind of perspective from, from a player who's, you know, kind of taken a blow to his ego. And the Lakers have been through this a few times this season. They've been through it with Wesley Matthews and Markeith Morris, who were out of the rotation for a while in January. Um, they've been through it with Dennis Schroeder, who heard his name in trade talks and, you know, was reasonably close to being traded to Tampa Bay for Kyle Lowry. Um, you know, they're, those are kind of pivot points for guys. And there are circumstances where you see guys take that the wrong way or you see guys kind of... Um, fall off after those kinds of moments. And, you know, I think Schroeder has responded. Markeith Morris responded. Um, and, and Gasol, I think, has responded. It's been, you know, and I asked him last night whether or not he, you know, whether this was just him staying ready and being a professional or if he felt like he had something to prove. And and he gave a really insightful answer. Um, and, Jovan, you might want to add to this. But he talked about how you can be too selfish by being too unselfish. And meaning that you can be – you at some point, he had to understand that he needs to be a little bit more aggressive and look for his shot. So last night, he not only had a, a career – or it's a career – a season high in scoring, which granted was just 13 points, but he had a season high in attempts which with, with nine shots. And so, um, you know, probably some of it's personnel and who the Lakers actually have on the floor and who's available. But, um, you know, he certainly – I view that as him responding to – the, the Drummond uh, signing and and trying to be more aggressive and show that he is the player the Lakers thought they were signing back in November. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just to, to, to add to what you said, I think the, the biggest difference I've seen from Mark over these last few games has been his willingness to take those shots. And, and um, you know, when, when I did the, the midseason player grades, I think I gave Mark a B minus. And I actually wrote in my thing, like everyone's talking about his defense and, and people love to, to clip the, the one play where, you know, the, the the quick guard gets by him and gets to the rim, but all of his defensive numbers are really, really good. Like, and not even, like, some of them are elite, like top 10 in the league. Like, he's still at that level with, like, the Embiid's and Gobert's and, and Turner's, and I don't think we'd put him on that level, but there's a lot of data that suggests he's a very, very good defender still. It, for me, it was the offensive end where, you know, he would be passing up open three-point looks and, and getting a, a wing or a guard switched onto him in a mismatch and, and not doing anything about it. And this is a guy who, um, you know, like, let, let's make no mistake, he is by far the third most decorated player on this team. And, and arguably the second, you know, because he has a championship as well as AD. Um, you know, when, when you look at it just from a historical context, like Marcus Gasol is a, a first ballot Hall of Famer um, with, with a great NBA career, a great international career. And I, I think, you know, for, for him to only, I think this was his fourth double digit scoring game of the season. And like for for this team to be so undermanned all year, and for him to only have four double digit scoring games, like I, I think that is a little bit of an indictment on his offensive mentality. Of he just doesn't like to shoot, and, and that was something that I heard from from talking to um, some of our Toronto writers. You know, kind of in, in trying to learn about Gasol, they were like, he just passes up a lot of shots. Like he's almost too. Uh, you know, selfless to a fault. And I, I think he's kind of shifted that mentality recently. But for me, like, honestly, I, I think I'm at the point where I wonder if like Mark might be their best center, uh, you know, of course, in, in the non AD realm. Uh, but I, like, I, I kind of wonder if this should be more of a competition between Andre Drummond and, and Montrez Harrell than, than Montrez Harrell and Marcus Gasol for those backup minutes. And, um, you know, part of me wonders like, 
would in an ideal world where there's no politics, there's no promises. Well, there's your issue. <laughs> which there is, but you start Mark and then it's just Drummond versus Trez for those backup minutes. Um, but I think, you know, Frank's talked about it. They're, pro- they're going to start Drummond, but they are going to try to play some Mark Trez minutes. I-, I think you can get away with that against a lot of second units. There are, I think there are a few second units that will really exploit that. It does make some sense. Like defensively, Mark's the five, Trez is the four. Offensively, Trez is the five on the interior. Mark is spacing the floor. Like it, it does make sense. We, we haven't seen it yet though. Um, so I'm interested to see well, how, how that plays out. But you know yeah. what else complicates the conversation? Who is really their best center? It's Anthony Davis, hey. right? You know, <laughs> like in, and and that's where we talk about the politics, locker room chemistry, and how well that went last playoffs that's a question mark because you know if you if you really only have 48 center minutes when it comes down to it um yeah they you're correct they can you know they can play whoever you know the, the cavaliers and be like you know we'll, we'll we'll throw some gasol harrell out there just to get them both minutes both touches both feeling good about themselves and probably win the game anyways because you're playing the cavaliers or whoever um but in the playoffs can't make decisions like that every minute matters as you know and they're you know, I, I I would trust, especially with with the LeBron and a Drummond around, and and Vogel having proven himself in the playoffs last year, they'll bench Drummond if they need to. They'll they'll bench Gasol if they feel like that's necessary. They might, you know, Harrell dealt with it last year. Probably should have been benched more, as as you can detail uh, in that yeah. Clippers Nuggets series. So I think they'll do it, but it's just it's certainly something to monitor, especially when you know the fact is. They might be best closing most playoff games with like Kuzma at the four, Davis at the five, and all three of them might have to be sitting over there on the bench. So it's interesting. I think one of the interesting things, um, just from a team building perspective, that you, you can look at with the the Drummond and the Macklemore um, signings is that really, if you, if you look at who what what they're adding and and their strengths. Like if we were assessing Mark and Trez as a center combo and looking at one of their weaknesses, it's clearly rebounding, right? Like Trez is a uh, Trez is a really good offensive rebounder. He is a average to below average defensive rebounder. Mark is an okay rebounder, not not a great offensive rebounder. Sometimes he'll mix it up in there, but um, like overall, if we were kind of grading the the Lakers center spot rebounding would arguably be their, their lowest mark. So what do they do? They go out and get Andre Drummond, who's uh, historically, you know, statistically one of the best rebounders of all time. We could, you know, quibble about how much noise there is in some of that and how effective he is in actually affecting a team's rebounding. But I think Drummond gives them a different look there where he has some of the, like, he can pass, he can do some of the things Mark can do from a passing perspective. He can do some of the energy, uh, rolling, finishing things that Trez can do. Um, And then he also gives them a a different dynamic with the rebounding that they just don't have at that spot unless AD's playing there full time. Uh, And then with with Ben, it's it's the shooting and, and the lack of a conscience where like, you know, yes, I think all four, if you want to, you know, Wes, KCP, uh, Talon, Alex, like all those guys are better defenders and, and all those guys um, can, can do certain things and I think have more variety to their games than Ben does. But what does Ben do better than them? Uh, arguably shoot the ball and, and definitely shoot the ball without having a conscience. And, and he's a guy who can heat up and, and get you four threes in a quarter in a playoff game or, or even in a, an important regular season game. So like, I think they, what you have to give the Lakers front office credit on is they identified, I think weaknesses in the positional group and they went out and added guys that 
have strengths in, you know, in those areas and whether or not Andre Drummond plays a big role in the championship, whether or not Ben McElmore plays a big role, they now have that player that has that strength that they can go to. If, if the three point shooting is bad and Wes and KCP aren't making shots, they can go to Ben for, for a quarter or, or whatever. And, and, you know, let him get a bunch of backside threes as Frank Vogel said last night. Um, if, you know, Gasol and, and Trez are struggling on the glass. They can go to Drummond and, and he'll protect the glass and give them a different element there. So I do think that the Lakers front office deserves some credit in identifying two weaknesses on this team and, and going out and finding guys that'll help them there. Dion Waiters is still uh, looking for a job. <laughs> um, I have an announcement. We've bought out Bill Orem. Um, you know, he wanted to get on a contender. He's gone. So I'm going to have to close this podcast. Um, This is another episode of the Forum Club. After, I would say, a positive Lakers week in general, I would say, Yovan, I like to do this even on the Warriors podcast I do. Um, What does the next week look i'm I'm about to pull up this this lakers schedule so we can kind of predict where this next week is going they are on an extended east coast road trip that is going to close out with at miami at brooklyn at new york at charlotte that is a uh finals rematch actually against miami although it doesn't feel like one without you know the main players in miami had kind of an up and down season i saw they just lost to memphis at home um at brooklyn durant should play harden will not play um, at New York, frisky, good defensive team, but just very beatable still, even in the Lakers' current form. And at Charlotte, who's c- completely fallen off the cliff, LaMelo Ball out for basically the season, Gordon Hayward out, um, very beatable. So what do you define as success in those last four games? I personally say two and two. And what are you predicting in those last four? Yeah, I think success is two and two. And that's what I'm going to predict. I started the podcast off pessimistically uh, saying I wasn't that impressed with their their last 10 games just from a win-loss perspective. Uh, But I do think that like, you know, we can pencil in, if not pen in the Brooklyn loss or the Brooklyn game as a loss. But the other three, I think they'll get two of the three. Um, You know, as you said, I, I think New York and Charlotte, while frisky, while still in the playoff mix in the East, are both beatable. You know, the Lakers have already beaten the, the Hornets earlier this season. And Miami, I mean, they've been just so up and down and so inconsistent and so many guys in and out of the lineup that I also think they're beatable. So I, I do think the Lakers will get two of those three and lose the Brooklyn game and then enter this upcoming home stretch um, with, with a little bit of juice. You know, at that point, they'll be six and eight without LeBron and AD, and I think feeling pretty good about themselves. Okay, you heard it there. We will look out for potentially a two-and-two two week, and we will talk to you next week as the playoffs are kind of closing in somewhat. Month and a half. Yeah, yeah. Talk to you then. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.